John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Yeah, good morning. <clears throat> On this Tuesday, hope everybody's having a good day as we get into the heading toward the middle of the week. And, of course, uh, interesting week because now, of course, there's so much criticism of the Seahawks and the defense and the scheme and everything else. Uh, the, the bad play by the guys in the secondary, lots on the agenda, and of course lots of uh, people worried right now whether this is going to take away from the chance for this team to go to the Super Bowl. We'll talk to Sean Salisbury, go four downs at uh, 11 o'clock. Uh, we're also, a good article by Kalen Jones talking about the Seahawks defense and the problems. He's from the ringer. He's going to join us at 1030, but in the meantime, let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one, we can get better. Uh, DJ Reed did a nice job for us in, in the two weeks that he's played for us. Remember, he had only practiced one week with us before before he played last week. So there's just more stuff to be gained here. And uh, really the lack of the offseason would be a factor for these guys where they would have been all healthy through all you know the weeks being out on the practice field and all that communication. That would have helped this group, and it's, and it's a new bunch. Uh, but... Uh, we're go- I think we're going to keep continuing to get better. We're going to make a move. It's going to look, hopefully it looks markedly different than what's happened in the first half, and we can turn this thing around. So Pete Carroll trying to explain what the heck happened on Sunday. Uh, well, uh, he was a lot of different things that he talked about. He talked about the problems, uh, you know, that really injuries have played a factor. I mean, Jamal Adams is just getting back after being out a month. You, know, you can see that uh, Quentin Dunbar is playing with a bad knee, and really, I don't know if he was, 60% or 70%, but he was not able to really run all that well. It was almost like running on one leg. That wasn't good. And, of course, Shaquille Griffin remains out with that hamstring injury. Sounds as though Ugo Amadi has a chance to come back. But clearly, everything was out of sync. And, of course, I know that uh, Daniel Jeremiah went through and looked at it, and there's like about many uh, cover zero blitzes. And a cover zero blitz is when you basically have nobody in the middle of the field. Everybody's coming up to rush or going out to at least cover, and that puts you in man coverage. And, of course, they got beat and beat bad on many of those plays. So that was it, and I think what he said that uh, Daniel, I think, counted up about 18 cover zeros as far as how that goes. So now one of the important things right now is getting back uh, to getting healthier and getting guys back on the field so they can kind of go in. They take on the Rams on Sunday and a game that they really have to win. And, of course, they have to come back on a short week and play the Arizona Cardinals on a Thursday night. Uh, you can expect right now with Brian Monet uh, being out with a high ankle sprain, looks like there's a good chance that Snacks Harrison will come on the roster. Uh, you can almost count on that one. And then, of course, uh, again, just waiting to see how it's going to be on the offensive side of the ball because they definitely need more of a running game. You know, Chris Carson... It has a chance, according to Pete Carroll. Certainly, Carlos Hyde has a chance. You know, Carson has the midfoot injury, and of course, it's a hamstring injury right now for Carlos Hyde. But they definitely need more power running. So, we're going to talk to Kalen Jones of the Ringer. He'll join us at ten thirty, and we'll talk about many of the defensive issues for the Seahawks. Number two, the 0-1 pitch to Loriano from Yakabonis on the way, swinging a high fly ball deep left center field on the run to the one track. Kyle Lewis near the wall, leaps up and he makes the catch. Holy smokes, Kyle Lewis over the wall and left center brings it back and he takes a grand salami away from Raymond Loriano. Holy smokes, Lewis timing that leap. High over the wall and left center field out near the pen. And that will retire the side. What a play by Kyle Lewis. 
No surprise that Cal Lewis was able to be the American League Rookie of the Year, but I think the bigger surprise is how uh, strong he came in because he came in with 12 unanimous votes, uh, all 30 voters taking the vote and giving it to Cal Lewis, and he becomes the 12th unanimous winner of the award. And so that's uh, good news for the Mariners, good news for Lewis. He appeared in 58 of 60 games, had a 262 batting average with 11 home runs. You can see he was a good uh, fielder, making big plays in the outfield. He led all rookies with 37 runs scored, 90 total bases, and a 364 on-base percentage. He now becomes the fourth Mariner to win American League Rookie of the Year. He joins Alvin Davis, Kaz Kazaki, and Ichiro Suzuki as far as how that went. And so that's a that's good news for the Mariners. And of course, you know, two gold gloves and a, a Rookie of the Year. And that's pretty good stuff right now for the Mariners as they try to go on this rebuild. Number three. This is going to be a 51-yard attempt for Nick Folk. 51-yard attempt. Sweeps the leg. Kick on the way. It is good! The Patriots win! No time remaining. New England comes from behind. A snap. A four-game losing streak. And the Jets drop to 0-9 on the season. So it was, uh, I guess you can say, a very competitive game, 30-27, to New England winning. And, of course, New England had to come from behind to be able to do that. Joe Flacco was quarterbacking because Sam Darnold has a shoulder injury. In fact, on Sam, they're checking to see if it's going to be any more serious, and he could be out for some time. You know, And it's really hard because he can't fly to out-of-town doctors right now. He has to have local doctors get second and third opinions on his shoulder. So that doesn't sound like it's going to be very good. And, again, mismanagement by the Jets in putting him back on the field and getting that shoulder hurt for the second time this year. Uh, Cam Newton uh, you know, did some good things last night. I mean, again, still looks a little lost, still looks slow in getting the ball out of his hands, but he had two rushing touchdowns. He completed 27 of 35 passes for 274 yards to basically one tight end, Ryan Izzo, and a bunch of no-name receivers because Julian Edelman's on the injured reserve list. Uh, in fact, they had so many undrafted guys catching passes, it was amazing. <coughs> Jacoby Myers had a breakout game. He had 12 catches for 169 yards, and so now the Patriots go to 3-5, and five. the Jets go to 0-9, oh and, and it just keeps getting worse and worse for the Jets. Again, we'll see how they come back out of it. I know their left tackle, Mika Beckton's hurt again. We'll see how bad he is. But the Patriots with their third win, but it looks like they're still a team going nowhere. Number four. The Atlanta Falcons waived their first round draft pick from 2017 Tack McKinley. There have been some talk that they were shopping him at the trade deadline. They initially were asking for a second round draft pick, never got back that second round draft pick, and now will not get back anything. They have moved on from their former first round pick, officially waiving him. He will go on waivers, and any team can claim him tomorrow. And, of course, McKinley's going to go on uh, waivers today because he didn't make yesterday's waiver wire. And so that means that uh, teams have until 1 o'clock tomorrow to put a claim in on him. And I have to think Seattle's going to be interested. And, of course, it is interesting to see now for you know a lack of pass rushers that have been available either in trades. Of course, the trade deadline is done, but also guys on the street because now you have Vic Beasley that's out there. you got Tack McKinley who's out there. And, again, if you're looking to add one, I think you got to look at either one of those guys. Interesting thing on Beasley is that nobody has brought him in so far, and that's I think a little bit of a surprise. And so McKinley basically, you know, was a disappointment. Twenty-eighth pick in that first round, back 
2017 and uh, just never lived up to any of the expectations, was only an average pass rusher at best. And so now it's a matter that uh, he got this year, and it was in the last year of his contract, I didn't give him a 50-year option, that uh, he was upset. Uh, he's been hurt, but he's also got upset that uh, nothing happened on a trade because you get the feeling he wants out of there. And, of course, he started to tweet out, uh, what was going to be uh, some of the offers he had heard here. There was a second-round pick they were shopping him for last year. They didn't get that. Then it was like fifth- and sixth-round picks this year. And, of course, the uh, management just got mad, furious, got angry to a point where they find him, they find him and really then decided, okay, let's get rid of this guy. So Tack McKinley's available. We'll see if anybody picks him up on waivers or if he clears waivers if anybody signs him. Number five. Steven, you feel pretty strongly that Mike is the guy going into 2021, regardless of how the rest of this season plays out? Absolutely. Unequivocal. You're changing a culture. You're, you know, you, you change when you change the leadership. And uh, certainly uh, we like stability. Uh, that's why we uh, stayed with Jason for 10 years. And uh, certainly we know, you know, these things don't happen overnight in terms of, uh, uh, you know, when you turn things around. And so that's Stephen Jones, vice president and owner's son of Jerry Jones, who's talking about uh, their support for Mike McCarthy, who's on a five-year contract at $9.5 million a year. But Cowboys are just in a terrible mode right now. Again, they lose with Pittsburgh coming back to win that game, 24-19. to And they're sitting there with a uh, two, 2 and 7 record that's just awful. And they are just terrible right now. And so now uh, they've got a lot of things to try to clean up. And, of course, I don't know if anything's going to clean up because if they can't win their division games, they're not going to win many games. I mean, so far, the four teams in the NFC East have only a total combined two wins. I think it's 17 losses and a tie when they're out of division. Uh, Garrett Gilbert right now is the quarterback because they're waiting to see about Andy Dalton. He's in COVID-19, so we'll find out if he's going to be available. Uh, Team just doesn't seem... seem to be coached well, I mean, particularly on defense. Again, it was a better performance against Pittsburgh, and they almost were able to pull that one out. But this team is really lost, and they're in a tough cap situation. They have come out, Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones, saying that they are going to take care of somehow of Dak Prescott because Prescott is up. He's going to be a 37.7 cap hit if they put the franchise tag on him and of course they have to you know pay him probably close to 38 39 million dollars a year you can see how difficult it is for them without him so i guess he's proved his point with his injury but you know now they're down to their third quarterback garrett gilbert hope maybe to get andy dalton back but doesn't look like there's much hope this year for the dallas cowboys hey you can listen to the show via the 710 sports app it's powered by the dubin law group coming up next we're going to go under further review and talk about what's going on with the broken Seahawk defense and how do you try to repair it? It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. Well, time to go under further review to continue to look at what's wrong with the Seahawks defense. And again, started out as it has uh, for really the last couple years, lack of a pass rush, and the team had to adjust to that. And last year they played softer. They uh, definitely tried to at least uh, try to bulk things up, but they really couldn't make a big acquisition until they got the uh, Carlos Dunbo- uh, Dunlap trade as far as getting some pass rushers onto Leo position and the misfortune of having uh, the injury with uh, a, a real good one and uh, you know, having uh, Bruce Irvin have going out for the season. So 
that didn't help things. But overall, the team right now in a position to see what they can try to do to bounce back. But now the different problems have grown in the secondary. And, of course, the secondary has been injured. They've not really had, I guess, one game or so where they – I guess you could say they had three quarters of the San Francisco game where they did a lot of good things, and then all of a sudden uh, here comes a backup quarterback and Nick Mullen, and he comes off the bench and you know gets things moving. But still, the problem remains for this one is that they've got to try to uh, get things fixed up and fixed up fast because what they have coming up is two now the two most important remaining games of the season against you know the Rams and also against the Arizona Cardinals, and you don't want to start to fall behind in the division. They have a one game game lead but right now that's thanks to the Miami Dolphins who've beaten all three opponents for the Seahawks in the NFC West uh, and of course Seattle did get the victory over the Miami Dolphins so what's broken on the Seahawks defense Brock Heward who actually did the game in Buffalo uh, for Fox comes and explains what he was on today with Danny and Gallant do you think that Pete Carroll has lost his ability to build a defense I would say Pete Carroll in the staff through eight games is not teaching this defense very well, Danny. I would say that very, very clearly and and just honestly. And, you know, the the beauty and the pain of the NFL is that tape doesn't lie. That is your resume. It doesn't really care what you've necessarily done in the past. And it is perplexing. And just reaching out again to some of my folks and friends that were defensive players, right? I come at it many times from a QB perspective an offensive perspective. So I do try to balance, you know, how hard defense can be to play by bouncing it off some of my defensive peers and to hear what they're saying, you know, a little bit off the record is like, wow. You know, if, if that was fully out there, it's it's bad. The technique is bad. The tackling is bad. The fundamentals are bad. The scheme is bad. The awareness and the situations on a second and 27 if you remember that play, a second and 27 in Dunbar, I have no idea what he could possibly be thinking or doing as he gives up like the corner route right in front of him in man coverage. And, you know, it's a 40-yard game. I mean, it's, Danny, The something is missing. Pete knows every X's and O's a hundred times better than any of us do, you know, do. That, that old line of... You know, what, what do they like to say? He will forget more football than I could ever learn, right? I mean, that that's true. He, he knows ball. But whatever it is between he to the staff to the teaching to the players to the implementing it, it's it's not working. It's it's broken. And it's if the season ends today, this is the worst defense statistically in the history of the NFL. Total yards and pass defense. That's not where you want to be. No, that's true. So they've got to get some things fixed, and they've got to get it fixed as fast as they possibly can because uh, overall the defense has not been good at all. And, of course, it gets, and it's really worse. And 362 yards allowed passing per, per game is about as bad as you can get. It's, there's nobody that's been able to do that. That's how bad it is. So now it's a matter how do you try to bounce back? How do you try to get this thing fixed up? Because at this stage, I mean, it is a total disaster uh, as far as trying to hold things down. And of course, I don't know, Curtis, it's like, or I guess you can't say that we're overreacting as bad as it is, because again, 362 yards and then the way that they played. But hey, Pete Carroll, particularly, this is coming at a time that you just signed a five-year contract extension. Yeah, you mentioned overreacting. It's darn near impossible to overreact when speaking about the worst defense in the NFL statistically. That's what this is. Like this is these are facts we're we're talking right now. 
to overreact in this situation, I don't think it's even possible. I mean, the Seahawks' defense is what's going to hold them back unless they get this figured out. It's going to hold them back from being, you know, the kind of contender this offense is is meant to be. Uh, you have the, a possible MVP on this roster in Russell Wilson, and right now, I don't know if this defense is good enough to get you beyond the divisional round. Uh, if you've got an MVP on your roster, John, I mean, anything less than a conference championship berth is, is an incredible disappointment. And I think the way we have seen the Seahawks play, especially offensively over the season's first half, that gets people thinking potential Super Bowl run. And especially with how wide open the NFC is this year, you don't want to miss out on these opportunities. You don't want to miss out on an opportunity where the 49ers, who were owning the conference last year, are now wounded. They are, are walking wounded. You don't know about their quarterback situation. But if they can get that figured out next year, who knows what their ceiling is going to be. The Seahawks' opportunity to win the NFC is there. It is entirely within their own grasp. They just got to do something about this defense right now because if not, then you're going to waste one of the best opportunities Seattle has had post-2014, I would say, to get back to a Super Bowl. I think this might be the best chance they've had since 2014 to get back. Yeah, no doubt because, again, the schedule is so favorable. <clears throat> but, of course, now you got to take advantage of that schedule. And you knew this was going to be a rough stretch. This is going to be a rough stretch of five games because you're facing good quarterbacks. You're facing four division teams. You're facing uh, you know teams that can put points on the board. All those different things. And you know I think certainly you 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 are not overreacting. But then the reality is okay. So they get an easy schedule the remainder after that because you now San Francisco you don't know what's going to be there with all the injuries and all that stuff. So that's a quite winnable game. And then you have four non-division games against teams in the NFC East and. Uh, the Jets and all that, so that those are all winnable games. Jets, Giants, and Reds, Washington football team. You know, but you you got to find a way to get this thing better because at this stage it's bad. Oh, it's very bad, and and you wonder uh, when sort of Seattle will be able to take a breather. Uh, you know, defensively, maybe you know get an easier opponent in here. But even the opponents that we look at this season that are not so good. You know, Dallas, New England, Minnesota. All three of those teams have losing records. They still put up big yardage against Seattle's defense. Uh, Minnesota's wasn't so much through the air, but it was definitely on the ground that night. Uh, you know, they've got L.A. this Sunday, Arizona on a quick turnaround on a Thursday night at home. Uh, Philadelphia, they're not that great, but it is a road game, and they're leading the NFC West, You know, which is not exactly the most flattering uh, descriptor this year. But, hey, they're still a division leader. It looks like that stretch December 6th through the 20th is going to be the only time where Seattle may be able to catch their breath when they go up against the Giants, Jets, and Washington. Uh, but, you know, before that, you still got three games. And if you drop, you know, two of those three, you're looking at a seven and four record. Uh, you're looking at, you know, kind of a, you know, a, dis- a deflating. Uh, mid part of the season after such a great start to the season, hopefully Seattle uh, can a- can be able to uh, get get it going here because six and two is much better looking than six and three. And, and then if you lose, you know, against the Rams this Sunday, you've got a, a game against a team that has beaten you once this season. Uh, there's a possibility Seattle's looking at six and three, six and four here. You hope that they can get it fixed here to at least avoid uh, losing two of these next uh, three or so games because. 
you don't want to be flirting with 500, especially in the NFC West. No, no doubt about it. You got to try to make sure that uh, you you because again, it's all it's all set up, and that's the thing that you know you figured is okay. May, maybe this team isn't going to be the best because of the problems that they had on defense, and we thought it was going to be the pass rush more than anything else. Now the pass rush is getting better, and then the secondary has just been horrible. And again, that was supposed to be one of the strengths of the team because you know the equivalent of four players who have Pro Bowl type ability, but then uh, you know the injuries and the poor play, and we'll see about the technique because all this has to be fixed. That's why I'm kind of wondering. It's like okay, people want Ken Norton Jr. fired, and that's not going to happen, uh, particularly during the season. But I still wonder, you know, wouldn't it be a bad idea because Chris Richard is still out there to maybe bring him back because he's such a good teacher particularly of the fundamentals and getting this thing going. But then the other problem is, you know, is with all the injuries, how many guys get a chance to practice during the week? Yeah, I mean, it, they are just so beaten up here. I mean, Pete Carroll spoke about it a lot yesterday with Daniel Gallant and also in his press conference, just how these guys just need time to play together. They haven't had much time, especially without an off offseason. Uh, you had training camp where Jamal Adams came in. Uh, you've got you know guys like Carlos Dunlap who've only been here a week, um, Snacks Harrison as well. They just haven't had any time to play together, and it's pretty obvious uh, seeing the results on Sunday that – yeah, they they just they have not been able to get some time together and really learn the tendencies of each other. Hopefully, they they get that familiarity over the next couple of weeks. Now you would hope so, but of course, time time is of the essence, and it doesn't help that it's going to be two games in ten days because then you know very little limited preparation for the second Arizona game. But again, they've got to try to get these two wins and try to at least get the division taken care of. And of course, be sure to check out the, uh, the professor's notes at seven ten sports dot com. The professor's notes are brought to you by. In- Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go ahead and you know get a review from a little bit outside right now. Kalen Jones did a great job on the ringer of writing about the problems on the Seahawks defense. And we'll talk to Kalen next. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, the defense is a big problem right now as it continues to be for the Seahawks, but it's really kind of switched as far as where the pass rush was the problem initially, and now it's a matter that the secondary is a problem. And joining us right now is uh, a chance to catch up on Kalen Jones from The Ringer. And Kalen, you had a good article on The Ringer about the Seahawks defense. And it's amazing to see you know a defense right now that's giving up, uh, what, 362 yards a game passing. And obviously that's not going to be a formula that's going to get you to the Super Bowl. Yeah, John, it's really interesting because, you know, the Seahawks for so long throughout the past decade, you know, they were vaunted for, or they had such a vaunted secondary, you know, Richard Sherman, Legion of Boom, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, all those guys. And to see, you know, them kind of start this decade completely on the opposite end of that, to have them, you know, through eight games, have one of the worst secondaries in terms, statistically in terms of pass defense in NFL history, it's really shocking. And, you know, as you mentioned, like this past week, it kind of revealed that, you know, the Seahawks are going to make a push for the Super Bowl they're not going to be able to overcome consistently, you know, them having a, a really leaky pass defense unless Russell Wilson is firing it off on all cylinders. And last week we saw what happens when he does it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what what is it a talent thing, do you think, or is it just execution? Is it injuries? Obviously, a lot of things have gone into this. Yeah, no, definitely. There, there's been a mixture of things. Like you mentioned, there's been the injuries. When you look at Shaquille Griffin, I mean, he was out last game with concussion, hamstring issues. He's missed actually the past two games. Uh, he's probably the best cover corner at this point. Uh, he was being, he wasn't even in the game last week. 
Quentin Dunbar has been hampered by a knee injury, and he struggled last weekend a lot. Um, and then, you know, it, it came down to coaching last weekend, too. You know, the interesting thing with Seattle was that they chose to play a lot of cover zero, cover one, and they ended up playing down 45% of their defensive snaps last season, or excuse me, last week against Buffalo. But throughout the entire season, we've seen, you know, very obvious examples of Josh Allen having a lot of success against man coverage. So it, it was strange, you know, to have Pete Carroll come and tell reporters after the post game last week and say that, you know, the plan was for Seattle to have a really good run defense, a run defensive game plan to slow down what's really been a kind of a, a middling to okay rushing attack from Buffalo, but not really focus on taking away, you know, Josh Allen's bread and butter, which is attacking, you know, deep uh, man coverage. And he really succeeded in that last week instead of employing, you know, more soft zone coverages like we've seen teams do over the past few weeks against him, which, you know, he's really struggled after starting off the season really strong. So I think it's a mixture of things. You know, as you mentioned earlier, the pass rush was, you know, kind of an issue, but I feel like they'll have a little bit more success. And they had success last week. You know, they registered seven sacks, which is really impressive. Carlos Dunlap looks like he has a significant impact on the team. But, you know, moving forward, Luckily for Seattle, they don't face any, you know, I, I think like highly explosive passing games similar to Buffalo. But, you know, moving forward, they have to figure out what's going on in that secondary and, you know, get guys playing at a higher level and also healthy because it, it's going to be, you know, kind of it's going to hamper them moving forward. Yeah. And that's the thing that's so strange is that it looked like on paper, this was going to be one of the most talented secondaries since the Legion of Broom uh, breakup because Shaquille Griffin has been to the Pro Bowl. Quandre Diggs has two Pro Bowl alternates in the last two years. Uh, Jamal Adams has three uh, trips to the Pro Bowl. And Pro Football Focus you know, did rate uh, Quentin Dunbar as the uh, second-best cover guy in the league on, in man coverage last year. And so uh, you, know, you throw that and say, okay, this should be better, but it hasn't been. Yeah, you know, part of that too. You know, they they gave away Bradley McDougal to the Jets. You know, and all the 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 slew, the slew of picks that they gave up, and also to acquire Jamal Adams this offseason. He hasn't been in the lineup too much, and you know, I think last week he was still trying to get acclimated back. You know, the playing. Um, I know that he was dealing with a groin issue, but you know, like you mentioned, there's tons of talent within that secondary when they're healthy, and I think that when once you get guys going back, I, I know that's been a really uneven season. Once you get guys you know, back in the lineup and consistently. And then on, on top of that, you know, I, moving forward, Seattle needs to have a better game plan moving forward. Like Ken Norton, defense coordinator, and Pete Carroll have to, you know, kind of short things up and make sure they're putting players in the best position possible to succeed. But I think, you know, moving forward, there's definitely a chance that they bounce back and kind of get things going moving forward. It's just it has not looked good so far throughout the start of the year. Oh, no no doubt about that. Uh, and, of course, you wonder with the way the injuries are, it's still going to take some time to get things back together because they're not certain with the hamstring injury that, that Shaquille Griffin's going to be there. They think Ugo Amani's going to be there. And, and then, I don't know, when you watched and saw how bad it was for uh, Quentin Dunbar playing with that bad knee, uh, do you think it's almost advisable to sit him down? I feel like you should, but at the same time, I'm not sure like what other options that Seattle had. I know that Pete Carroll mentioned after the game that they needed to play him, you know, or excuse me, they needed to play Quentin Dunbar within that last game. So, you know, until they get some more guys healthy, I know that even Ryan Neal was dealing with with some type of injury issue, and um, and DJ Reed has been also limited by injury, and they just need guys to get healthy. 
and once they get bodies in there, you know, they need to perform at least at an adequate level and not a historically bad level. You know, even a marginally better uh, performance from these guys, you know, can help them. Because, look, if you compare, you know, Russell Wilson's situation to, let's say, it's not Pittsburgh, but if you were compared to a Patrick Mahomes, at any point, you know, Kansas City's defense gives enough. Like, let's say Kansas City's defense has a bad game. You know, they give up 30 points. You know, Russell Wilson is going to – you're going to have a chance with Russell Wilson at, at quarterback. They're going to be able to compete in a shootout. But if it gets to, you know, I, I know that Russell Wilson had a pretty atypically bad game himself, turned the ball over four times. But if the defense is just slightly more sturdy, you know, it, it's going to give this offense a chance to compete in just about every game. But if it's out of reach the way that was Sunday, there's going to be no shot, even with, you know, Russell Wilson in that explosive offense. Yeah. How much of it uh, goes into just – playing a mobile quarterback with a strong arm and now you could look at down the line it's like okay so they'll they'll have uh you know coming up the rams and jared goff who's pretty much a pocket passer and then they go back to a running type of quarterback is you think the running quarterback uh causes them more problems yeah no i definitely think so i think what kyler murray for example was able to do with the cardinals game uh just a few weeks ago was a really good example of what happens, you know, even when the secondary plays, you know, pretty solid. I mean, they weren't amazing, but it just shows what, you know, Kyler Murray is able to do in terms of extending the game as a scrambler. Um, and I think that when you look at the schedule moving forward, you know, Seattle faces Murray again. Like you mentioned, they, they had a tough time dealing with Allen this past weekend, but there's no really other, you know, dynamic passing, uh, passing runner dual threat you know, moving forward on the schedule. And I think if they were to bump into that type of play in the playoffs, I think that it gives them a lot of potential for, you know, having fits and issues in the secondary because it just allows for allows for receivers, you know, get open downfield and, you know, things can break down within that back end really easily for Seattle, especially right now. So I think that, you know, definitely agree that, you know, rushing quarterbacks, quarterbacks with, you know, mobility definitely, you know, pose a bigger threat for this, you know, Seattle's defense. And, of course, we're actually seeing that league-wide, too, because, again, it's like it's been an incredible year. What was it just over the weekend? I think 11 quarterbacks threw for over 300 yards, and at this, at this time, 16 quarterbacks are uh, out there with the ability to, uh, you know, maybe get 4, 16 quarterbacks for 4,000-yard seasons. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a passing league. And I think that, you know, with the way that the modern NFL is going, you have to have some type of mobility at quarterback in addition to that. And there, there's definitely a lot of, like, the, the ability to scramble just does so much for what a quarterback is able to do. And when you couple that with the fact that teams are being a lot more pass-heavy and willing to be more aggressive through the air, um, it, it just makes, you know, a, it makes the defensive job a lot tougher than what it is, than what it used to be. Um, you know, for example, you know, you got Josh Allen just this past week. You know, it's the fact that, you know, so many quarterbacks are have the ability and, you know, have really it speaks to the, the ability of receivers as well. Like there, there's so many different offenses that are just able to tee off against secondaries, regardless of how talented they are. We're seeing a lot more defenses go to mix zone coverages. And uh, as another example would be, you know, to, to kind of stymie scrambling quarterbacks would be the, the Colts. And what they did in terms of spying uh, Lamar Jackson last week throughout the first half, I mean, there, there's just so many different ways that a quarterback is able to beat you. And through the air, you know, like you mentioned, like it's definitely been a growing trend, especially in an, 
uh, off or year where you didn't really have defenses get the chance to gel uh, throughout the offseason or during the preseason, had to kind of adjust on the fly during the regular season. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, uh, that's I know any time that they go man coverage against uh, Russell Wilson, uh, he then gets that added ability to run, and that works out so well. What uh, evaluation do you have as far as the pass rush? Because it was obviously the weakness of the team coming into the season. It was a weakness uh, last year, but now at least they get Carlos Dunlap, <clears throat> and he seems to have helped. Oh, he absolutely has helped. You know, immediately impact the game. I believe that he tallied one sack. I mean, they ended up uh, with two. I believe Jan Reed also had one as well, and then Jamal Adams. Um, I, I think once you have, you know, Jamal Adams and Carlos Dunlap within that lineup, it just helps, you know, their front seven a lot more in terms of generating a pass rush. Because entering this week, you know, entering last week, you know, Seattle ranked within the, top, the worst three pass rush in terms of just generating pressure. And so, as you mentioned, like Seattle deploying a lot of man coverage probably wasn't the best idea last weekend. Um, it would have been a lot better to, to go after Josh Allen and try to mix things up and confuse him by deploying zone coverages. But, you know, moving forward, I, I think, you know, the secondary is more of the issue as opposed to it being the front seven. I think what the front seven is able to do will translate, you know, moving forward against quarterbacks who aren't able to escape the pocket and aren't as decisive as Josh Allen was this past weekend. So if you were a Seattle Seahawks fan, you know, you, you can be encouraged by what you saw last week as far as, you know, the seven sacks uh, that they tallied against Josh Allen. Okay, you can get Kalen Jones on the ringer. He wrote the story about the Seahawks are still contenders, but their defense could change that. And what else do you have uh, coming up, and what can everybody do to read you and hear you? Uh, you can follow me on TheRinger.com, uh, also on Twitter at Kalen Jones. But uh, this week uh, I'll be joined the Ringer NFL show, the talk with Nora Princiati and Danny Kelly, probably um, addressing some of the midseason awards and some of our preseason predictions. So that's what you can look forward to. Hey, Kalen, thank you so much for doing this. Of course, John. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines and get you up to date on what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, the... Uh, NFL, as it does every week, it's now Tuesdays they start putting this out. They give the number of tests that are run. And uh, last week, of course, there was panic all around the league. Of course, unnecessary panic because, again, I think what you're seeing is that uh, they're doing a good job with the protocols, trying to make sure that you don't have uh, the spread. And I counted up that was 44 players that went on the COVID list, and it was technically 15 players that tested positive. And, you know, where everybody was all panicked and you could see, oh, boy, here we go. we got to start moving games back. I mean, particularly uh, when Kendrick Bourne of San Francisco, you know, he had the positive test, and so they had to go to about uh, three other members of the uh, 49ers and scrap them down for five games, including their left tackle, Trent Williams. And, of course, that kept him out of the Thursday night game and left him vulnerable to three sacks that were allowed. Uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger today, by the way, he he has he's in uh, COVID-19, but that's because he was sitting next to Vance McDonald on the plane. So the simple thing is that if it's a high-risk contact, you have to be out five days. And, uh, you know, like in the case of Ben, he was able to at least, uh, you know, he should be able to 
clear, clear he's got negative tests right now, but uh, 15. But, you know, Curtis, where everybody starts to panic, you say, my heavens, 44 players going on the list. I think you can see that that number is going to stay the same. But, you know, for the one month before that, it was 8888 uh, as far as the three, four eights as far as the number of positive tests. And when you think you have a league of over 2,300 players, that's not bad. Yeah, considering the the possibility that it could be way worse than it is, uh, the NFL seems to be doing a, a, a pretty decent job of, of getting games going, uh, of keeping players healthy. Uh, you know, I think the Trent Brown situation with the Raiders seems to be probably the worst of it because he's been on the list now twice this season. Uh, and I think Matt, Matt Stafford was on it twice, but once was a false positive. Uh, and then I think the second time was just this last weekend. Uh, but, John, the Ben Roethlisberger situation, I think is kind of probably the biggest concern that most teams have with your starting quarterback. We've seen it now with Baker Mayfield. He got placed on the list. Uh, ben Roethlisberger did. Matthew Stafford did. The starting quarterbacks, John, uh, getting placed on the COVID-19 list. Are teams doing, I guess, more this season to keep starting quarterbacks sort of isolated from the rest of the team other than in practice time or is it just kind of as it always is with the quarterback around everybody yeah no i think they are i mean i think that uh, they're trying their best to separate because if one quarterback is down then uh, you know you've got big problems uh because it's going to spread and all of a sudden you can be down several and so i think you know they're doing a good job and of course what has to remain is that you know People have to wear the masks. They have to have the tracers. I think that's one of the things I think is kind of understated, the tracers and how they're able to find out different things. Because, again, you know, then you find out who's who's the contacts that are high risk and how do you try to adjust for that. John, also yesterday we got the news that Tech McKinley from the Falcons has been waived by the team. He will be subject to the NFL's waiver wire. Seattle is 28th in those standings, meaning there will be 27 teams before them with a shot at signing Tech McKinley. Just looking across the NFL right now, there's always a need for pass rush, even teams beyond the Seahawks. Do you think McKinley stays alive on the waiver wire up through Seattle? Probably not. You have to figure that somebody's going to claim him. I mean, that's, I think, you know, the, the bold prediction because, again, you, know, you get him for half the salary. And or a little less than half the salary, and I think his salary is like 1.8. So you get him for an 800 uh thousand dollar range which isn't too bad and again he just gives you another option and i think you can see how quickly and on all these positions because again you know I, as you know i keep track of all the missed starts and all the injury stuff and all that and you know you can you can get diminished real quickly like for example uh take a look even at the uh, most recent opponent of the seahawks you know here they were uh trying to struggle through and buffalo you know, they had eight offensive linemen that were active their, star, their starting center mitch morris got hurt uh, and he had a concussion, <clears throat> so he was inactive, and then two guards go down. And then <clears throat> they got the scare when Daryl Williams, the right tackle, went down a little bit with a sore knee. He was able to come back, but all of a sudden you're down to five. Chicago, they've had some <coughs> testing issues uh, with you know Cody Whitehead. 
uh, who Whitehair, who ends up getting uh, at least on the COVID test. And so a lot of their offensive linemen are out, Jermaine Effetti being one of them. And so you can really be down several players. So you want to have as much as you can on your practice squad. That's why even in the case of Tack McKinley, it would help Seattle if he doesn't get uh, picked up. Then you can get him for you know $825,000. You can get him for like $400,000, and he might want to get back to the West Coast because, again, he is a L.A. type of guy. So I think that you know I think McKinley, and I still think Vic Beasley is somebody to look at too. Yeah, and Beasley, don't have to worry about waivers with him. You can just go sign him right now if you feel like it. Uh, but because of these guys, uh, because of the intake protocols in the NFL, John, if the Seahawks were to sign either Tack McKinley or Vic Beasley, it would still be about a week before we yep. ever saw them in the facility, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but you can see what that value is because if you can end up getting somebody like that, uh, you know, and like for example, in Damon Snacks Harrison, I mean, uh, Monet goes down with an injury, and now you want to get uh, Damon Snacks there. You have him available, and guys like that are hard to find anymore. Very hard to find, especially at this point in the season. And then, John, uh, just a couple minutes ago on Twitter, Rashad Penny, uh, Seahawk running back, who's been out all season. It looks like things might be trending his way, at least according to the last two tweets he's had. Uh, about 20 minutes ago, he tweeted, home stretch, thank you, God. And then about a minute ago, he tweets, sometimes you have to take two steps back to take 10 forward. Sounds like things are progressing well for his return. When do you think we'll see him back in the lineup? Uh, probably a couple of weeks. I think that uh, you, you first want to see, you know, I think you want to get through maybe one or two of these games. In fact, maybe, and this is just my thought, not certainly something I've heard, but <clears throat> you got two games in 10 days, right? And so now it's a matter, it's like, okay, you have all these other positions, you don't know what injuries are going to creep up next week. So I would have to think that, you know, in the most likely scenario, you know, if you need him, you can bring him up, but then you give him that extra couple of days to go. And so after the Arizona game, I think would be the time to be able to do it. Yeah, I think heading into that final stretch of the season, uh, where the game, where the competition kind of eases up a bit, we talked about it with the Jets, Giants, and Washington. Uh, all those three games, uh, that'd be an, a a pretty advantageous time to work on some stuff with your rotation because. For as bad as those teams are, I don't see the Seahawks dropping any of those games uh, at that point in the season. And could be a nice time to to see what you got in Rashad Penny and see what you got in, uh, in his health and, and the rest of the running back group. Yeah, no doubt. So I think that's going to be <clears throat> one of the big things to kind of watch. Coming up next, we're going to go four downs with Sean Salisbury. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.